Hey, yo, we was having a ball, and you know, they asked me to get on the mic, and they asked me, can I kick it? Words. Can I kick it? All right, guys, welcome back to my channel. Today I have a guest, Rich Cooper. Uh, he is an author, an entrepreneur, and a car guy. And uh, I just want to say thank you for being here, dude. I know uh, time is quite valuable, and uh, I appreciate you giving us your time. You're welcome. So I came across you on Instagram. I actually haven't seen your YouTube channel, but I, I would imagine it's it's quite entertaining and um educational. And, uh, you know, the goal here today is to, to do some providing of value. I think, I think ultimately as an entrepreneur, um, one of my guiding lights is to just educate people, provide some value and, um, you know, have some fun while doing it. And I think your message specifically resonates well with me, uh, and, most likely everyone here. So dude, why don't you uh, tell us a little about yourself? Um, well, my main, I guess, content platform is on YouTube. So, I mean, you're missing out on, on, on some of the best stuff. If you haven't checked out the YouTube channel, it's entrepreneurs and cars. Um, I started that in 2014 um, on a earnout buyout, like an exit with my main business. And um, I wanted to do something different. So I kind of mashed up the idea of, uh, talking about fast cars with people that have uh, generated something, uh, put a little dent in the universe and bought a success ride. Um, but I ran out of friends with cool cars to do videos on pretty quick. So I had to kind of uh, fill, fill the gaps with other stuff. And I think within about a year or two, maybe a year and a half, um, people started asking me, very small audience at the time, started asking me to talk about other things. And one of them was uh, women to avoid dating. <laughs> and um I did a video on that topic and it blew up. I think in the first week it got like over a hundred thousand views. I was like, okay, well clearly people want to hear more opinions on stuff like this. Um, and things just evolve from there. So, um, yeah, that's, that's really the main source of my content. So when you see stuff on Instagram, um, it's, it's mostly sourced from my YouTube channel, like, especially if you see video content or any, uh, tweets or sound bites that I put out, it's, it's, it's really sourced from ideas that I've put out there. Well, that's good to know. Thank you for, uh, educating me on that. I think that's pretty cool. I like how a lot of people use different channels to kind of feed into their, to their main channel or specific channel. And, um, you know, given what you're talking about cars and women specifically, uh, those are two topics that I discuss myself. And, uh, you know, I think to start, I really want to hear a little bit about your current lineup. Uh, from what I've seen on Instagram, looks like you have a few. I might be wrong, but it looks like a 720S, a R8 V10. I think it's gated or yeah, six speed. No, they're gated. Now gated and an mm -hmm. S5, is it? Yeah, the the R8 I just sold. There was an opera. Um, I wasn't driving it much when I got the 720. It just kind of sat in the garage and collected dust. And uh, the market was hot for gated manual V10 R8, so I uh, put it up for sale, and it went in the first day at full asking price. So I got rid of that back in September. Um, I'm also getting to the point where I don't really want to have a lot of stuff tying me down. 
Um, so being a car guy, that's kind of difficult. Cause I, I mean, I always look at a car every once in a while and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I'd love a 1970 resto mod Mustang with a Ferrari V12 stuffed in it, like a real crazy mashup. And then it's like, ah, well, you know, that's just something else that's going to cost me money. That's going to take up space. And I'm trying to minimize, uh, stuff in my life. So right now I just have the 720S um, and the S5, you know, for a dealer, but the, the, but the 720 doesn't get driven in the winter time. It's, it's, it's stored. I can imagine. I think, yeah, you know, I, I'm pretty familiar with the uh, gated uh, R8 V10 market. And it looks like it's, at least here in the States, that specific car has been inflated about 70 to 80 grand. I don't know if the market's similar in, in Canada. I think it's about the same for all used cars, more specifically exotics. Um, I knew when I bought that car for, I think it was four or five years ago. Like I knew when I bought it, I'm like, okay, this is the last of the V10 naturally aspirated gated six speed manuals. I, I looked at them as an undervalued purchase and as an investment that I could drive. Um, and I did that, you know, I, I drove it. I didn't have an emotional attachment to it. And I sold it when, when, the time was right when I really didn't have time to drive it and the market was hot. So um, I figured I might as well get rid of one of the cars and make a little bit of money and convert it into digital assets like cryptocurrency. Yeah. Yeah. That seems to be pretty, 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 pretty good move these days. Anyways. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm into cars, crypto um, as well. Uh, I'm only, I'm like you, I've downsized when it comes to cars. I just run one car at this point. I'm in an RS seven. And um, I, I absolutely love it. I think Audi produces a fantastic uh, machine, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, especially when you play with them. Like my buddy does all the exotic cars around here in Connecticut, and he he played with it about almost 900 foot pounds of torque. So it's it's quite fun. Yeah, when you say play with it, like you mean like software tuning, changing oh, yeah. the downpipes, messing with turbos, like stuff like that, right? Yeah, uh, we didn't touch turbos, uh, just exhaust manifold uh, tune, and I think an intake. Yeah, an intake, AWE mm-hmm. intake. But uh, he usually plays with you know McLarens, Lamborghinis, Ferraris, uh, so on and so forth. And um, I was coming out of a Cayenne turbo, which he also played with, which was really fun. Um, but uh, I really like the Audi Quattro, especially for being in New England. We probably get less snow than you, but with proper snow tires and, you know, a lot of power, it's fun to kind of play around in. It is. It is. Yeah. But, uh, but all right. So, so you downsized, I've downsized. What's, uh, what's the favorite car you've owned? Like for driving, let's say. It's the 720 for sure. I mean, I only trade up when it comes to cars. I don't, I don't. Have I ever trade down for a car? I don't think so. I mean, I've always just improved the car that I've been driving. Cause I mean, as they get newer, they always improve anyway by, mm-hmm. you know, merit of the manufacturers, just making a better vehicle. Um, but if you want a, a car that's raw, that handles amazing and is just wicked fast and does like just cool, cool stuff. I mean, you know, you look in the mirror and you know, you slam on the brakes and the wing comes up and it's just all kinds of neat stuff that happens with the 720. It's like a childhood boy dream. I mean, the doors go up, the wings move. It's just such a cool car that, you know, the dash, it, it, it comes out and it folds down flat and everything if you want it to. Um, and it's just one of the best performing cars for the money. I mean, in its price bracket, nothing else can touch it. Like you, I mean, if you want a car that people are going to look at, then buy a Lamborghini, right? right? Like people love looking at Lamborghinis. They'll drool over them. If I park my car beside a Lambo, everybody's looking at the Lambo. But it, once you get in the car and you start driving it, nothing 
nothing touches a McLaren, you know, in its price bracket for whatever it competes with. Mm. Yeah. So I've heard, and my friends that have had them love them when they're not being repaired. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of unfair to the brand, I think, because there's some things that are a pain in the ass, like certain sensors and things like that. But once you get to know the car and it's, uh, you know, quirks and features, you know, as they say, um, you know, you come to appreciate it a lot more and it's like, it, it comes with, uh, like nothing that, that, that runs like that is not going to come with some minor irritants. You know, it's like, um, you know, I said one time, you know, like a McLaren is like a bitchy 10, but an, an Audi R8 is like a pleasant seven, right? Um, it, it's going to come with some quirks and features that you don't get with an R8. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I, and I can see that. And I like the connection there. Um, it's interesting that you make that connection too, because I actually wanted to bridge that over. And uh, you were mentioning that um, you have done a lot of car content, which I think is big in the entrepreneurial space. It's not necessarily an entrepreneurial thing, but it's a big uh, piece to the entrepreneurial space including networking. But when you made the connection over to the women and uh, dating them, in this case, a 10 and a seven, is it, I guess the question that I'm getting at is um, when it comes to the car content and the women content or cars and women, regardless of being content, do you uh, find that you prefer to... Um, speak more on one than the other these days? I would say no, actually. Um, I, I like talking about interesting things and um, I think cars will always be interesting because they're always evolving. They're changing. They're getting better. They're getting faster. They're getting more fuel efficient. They have more grip. Um, they're always changing. Um, the thing about women is uh, I think once you get your head around them, there's nothing that, that much that changes, you know, if you know what I mean. Um, I think the rabbit hole when it comes to attraction and desire between the sexes isn't as deep and as complicated as a lot of guys think it is. And it's only guys that have really unplugged that have got their heads around uh, what works and what doesn't work with women versus what they've been told works um, that have the better experiences. But yeah, I mean, I like, I like chopping it up on both topics, but on a long-term basis, um, I find guys challenges with women, something that I'll spend a good amount of time with. Like when guys are booking my time for a, a, a coaching session, like I deal almost exclusively with high net worth guys. Um, they're asking me questions around, you know, I've been dating this girl for a while and I'm thinking about marrying her and putting a ring on her finger and, and making some babies, but I have, you know, and then insert, you know, the reservations and, um, those are really interesting conversations because you've got guys that are weapons in their life. Like they've done something significant with their business, um, you know, with a career, they make some good money and they're about to make one of the most important decisions in their life that could um, essentially make or break them. So, you know, I do enjoy having those conversations when it, when it bears down on that dynamic, it's, it's um, it's quite rewarding for me. Mm, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Um, being in my late thirties and unmarried, um, and having built five, five companies, uh, of my own anyways, but regardless of that, I, I agree. I agree. And I think there are some huge misconceptions specifically of genders, understanding each other. 
And my opinion, which could be considered wrong, is uh, social media and memes specifically do a very good job at clouding the reality of uh, situations. Do you feel there would be like maybe a top three uh, misconceptions of men having of women? Uh, of men having of women? Uh, let me see if I can give you. Of women. Yeah, so let me give you the first three that, that come to mind. So the first misconception I think a lot of guys have is um, become less so she can become more. And um, what do you mean it's a by pretty that? common narrative. Pardon me? What do you mean by that? Um, well, it's a pretty common narrative. I mean, we just heard uh, Boris Johnson the other day, he was the prime minister of the United Kingdom, state that um, they don't have enough female cabinet ministers in parliament. Oh, and he wants to work towards more female cabinet ministers. And um, I don't know if you know this or not, but a few years ago, when Justin Trudeau became the prime minister of Canada, uh, one of the first things he did was he went through, um, you know, the cabinet and made sure that I think 50% of the uh, cabinet ministers were either female or visible minorities. Um, so that's an example of, you know, become less so that um, others can become more. When I say others, it doesn't necessarily have to boil down to women because with the wokeness and the political correctness you know, that we live in. Um, that, that inclusivity is a little bit broader than just women, but, um, you know, it's not about let's, let's bring in the best person for the job. Let's bring in the person which was born with certain genitalia and certain skin color, because we have quotas or we need to virtue signal to the world that, um, we are this, that, and the other thing. And I think that's a really bad, uh, place to go. And, and, and that's everywhere. So I use that example in parliament and government, but that also applies to, uh, men when they're dating women, right? And and the thing about that is women date across and up, right? Because they're hypergamous. So they want to be with the best guy that they can get. So this so this myth or this idea that you should become less so she can become more is a horrible idea. It might sound good, you know, at first um, to sort of level the playing field. But um, at the end of the day, women divorce and leave guys like that uh, in record numbers, like, like far, far... I mean, if you're dating somebody and you're a guy and she makes more money than you, like that's one of the precursors, um, you know, in a marriage even where women leave that relationship is when she gets a promotion, she gets a big raise, um, those sorts of things. And he doesn't do anything in his life. He, he just kind of skips along across the bottom, you know, doing the same thing he's always done. Women leave those guys very, very quickly because they get fed up with um, men that, that aren't chasing excellence. So that would be the first thing. I mean, there's a few others that we can dive into as well. Yeah, well, I, I really like how you're explaining this. And, you know, fundamentally speaking, the last thing you said, uh, the way that I would explain it, not that uh, I think it's any different, men that don't have purpose and don't have a vision of what they want in life outside of a female are definitely going to get left. And at my point in my career, I see guys getting divorced now for that very reason. And I was also the same guy in their life telling them, hey, man, you've only known them six months. Like, you probably shouldn't be getting engaged. But yeah. without purpose, without purpose, without a male with purpose, right? I think that it's very easy to just kind of get mixed up in the crowd and um, just be average. And if a female is maybe more in their masculine energy, I don't know if you'd agree, and they are producing more financially on that front, um, well, they probably want to be outmatched or at least equally matched. Yeah, and it's tough for those women, I'll tell you that, because you see a lot of these 
career chasers that have climbed the corporate ladder, put off uh, families and having babies to get degrees framed in mahogany, put on their wall with little letters after the name saying how um, you know great they are and they're making great money. And then they look around by the time they're in their 30s, often late 30s, maybe even early 40s. And they're like, well, I want to have a family. I want to make babies. I need a man. And the dating pool has shrunk to the point where it's almost impossible. And they start complaining and raising grievances. I mean, you'll see a lot of this in the media where there's articles and, and press pieces saying, you know, there's no marriageable men or there's no dateable men. But if you have this, um, you know, corporate droid that's, that's, that's climbed the ladder and making a quarter million dollars a year, because women are hypergamous, they're not going to date across and down. They're, they don't want to date a guy that, you know, works off the back of a garbage truck. They don't want to date a guy that, uh, you know, is 40 and has been uh, divorced and living in their parents' basement, you know, where his wealth has been transferred over to his ex-wife and he hardly ever sees his kids. They don't want to date any of those guys. They don't want to date with the, date the fat guys, the out of shape guys. They want the hot dude with the six pack abs, broad shoulders, making more money than they are and, you know, willing to, uh, you know, be their uh, partner, you know, be their uh, support in their life. But the thing is, is these guys, they're not interested in women like that. They don't want to chase excellence all day and come home to the boss girl. Um, you know, to be told what to do guys like that, that are super successful, making real good money that are good looking, that have their act together, that have a style and purpose and understand game and what attraction is they're dating women in their twenties. You know, they're not, they want nothing to do with these boss girls making a quarter million dollars a year that are going to tell them what to do and run them up a flagpole and, um, you know, rush them into getting married and having babies. So it's, so it's an interesting dynamic, right? Like it's, it's, uh, created by way of their choices and there's very little accountability by way of those choices too, when it comes to women. Yeah. Those women make great clients <laughs> depending on the business model. Yeah. The funny thing is, is they don't make very good clients for conversations. I mean, I talk to a lot of guys, <clears throat> very few women. Um, I've had a few conversations in the last month. One was with a lesbian couple actually. And I talked to the dominant one in the, uh, relationship and the dynamics not that much different you know with guys that are chasing excellence versus women it's just it's uh they don't generally seek help you know they just kind of point at the rest of the world and say see i did everything i was told to do and you guys are failing me you know like why don't you date somebody your own age why don't you man up sort of thing and it's like they don't understand or or they don't want to understand you know why that is yeah yeah i mean i i can't I can't say I've had that conversation with a lesbian couple. Uh, however, um, there is, I do have someone in my life who's, she's in her twenties and she's the more masculine one of, uh, I guess the being a lesbian. I don't think she's in a relationship. However, something that I believe she comes to me for, uh, and I don't claim to know everything, but what she comes to me for is being able to, um, I don't know what the right word would be but give her perspective on the uh, masculine energy that she is um, trying to exude, exuding. Mm -hmm. What would be the right way of saying it? Yeah. Exuding masculine energy is what they're doing. They're, yeah. and, and that's what women have been told to do. Like men have been told become less so she could become more, but women have been told you can do it too, girl. You know, whatever a man can do, you can do. Yeah. And all that does is that makes women into ter terrible versions of men. Right. Um, most guys, again, top shelf men making serious bank, you know, are, are competent, skilled, good looking guys that have their life sorted. 
they don't want to be with a masculine type of woman. They don't want to be with that boss girl that, you know, goes to kickboxing classes. It's got traps and broad shoulders, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they don't want to be with that girl. that's going to, you know, try to run them up the flagpole and tell them what to do all the time. They want a feminine beauty. That's agreeable. That's, you know, I mean, if you want to have kids, then that's really what you need to do. I mean, you got to, I mean, you want to find that hot dude, you know, that's got his act together. Uh, be a feminine woman. These guys don't want to be with masculine women, most of them anyway. I mean, some of them are, are somewhat plugged into lies, you know, some of these guys where they think that they should seek their equal as well. Um, but again, those relationships never work out. Women don't want to be with an equal. They want to look up at a giant, you know, they want to be with somebody that's, that uh, just gets it, right? Do you think that's fundamentally like evolutionary programming? Absolutely. It's, yeah. I mean, if you read enough Evo psych and, you know, you start to understand what really drives desire and attraction between the sexes, it's always been that way. It's never going to change. I mean, no amount of leveling the playing field and politics and making sure that there's women, you know, as uh, cabinet ministers on the board of directors of uh, publicly traded companies, shoving them in those roles is never going to change the fact that a guy doesn't want to deal with a headache. He, he wants to be with a compliant beauty. Yeah. Yeah, man, totally. And I'd assume that you go on to explain in detail uh, a lot of what we're discussing in your book. Yeah. The book covers a lot of that. I'm actually working on a follow-up to the book right now. Uh, going to take people a little deeper down the rabbit hole on, on certain subjects, but most of it's covered in the uh, first first edition of the book. Yeah. Do you? Uh, oh, so you're doing like a second edition? Is that what you're saying? No, I'm doing a follow up to it. So oh, book simple. number two, basically the unplugged alpha two. Got it. Uh, do you do you get into the differences between masculine and feminine energy? Um, they're not covered specifically uh, in that way in chapters in this book, but throughout the book, it's certainly peppered in and it's talked about. Um, I assume that, that, that people that read my book, even though I try to water it down, you know, to make it appeal to the masses are folks that have been watching my channel for a while and really looking for a nice, you know, uh, distilled version of, of the most important stuff in the book. Um, so they're usually quite familiar with what I talk about, but, um, I think the second one's gonna, gonna be a little bit broader in its, uh, context and I'll probably cover something like that. Yeah. Yeah, dude, because, uh, I keep seeing this, this, this key term that I'm, you know, a little questionable of called wounded masculine. I'm familiar with masculine and disempowered masculine. Have you come across this wounded masculine term? Anything that um, is, is aimed to control, disparage, or manipulate a guy's masculinity is just nonsense and should be ignored. Like toxic masculinity is another one that you'll hear often, you know, wounded masculine men. It's like, there's no such thing. There's just masculinity. There's just conventionally masculine men. Um, there's, there's weaker guys and there's a hierarchy, you know, when it comes to men, because there's, you know, guys at the top shelf and historically um, the most successful men uh, acquired the most resources, assets, wealth, control, power, and women, you know, a lot of these successful men ran, ran harems, meaning they had either um, a wife with mistresses or multiple wives with multiple mistresses. Um, and then there's a lower tier guys that just haven't figured it out, um, that, you know, kind of find their place in the pecking order. Um, and generally speaking, when guys don't do what a female first primary social order wants the guys to do, they tend to use shaming tactics. Like uh, he's toxically masculine or he's wounded or, uh, you know, who hurts you sort of thing. 
Um, so that's usually the strategy that's used to try to control and manipulate the guys at that level. Yeah, 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 I, I agree. And, and I like how you grouped it in with um, toxic masculinity, which I don't speak on very often publicly. However, it is conversations that I have privately. And, uh, and, and mostly it's because I'm not a subject matter expert in masculine feminine energy, but I do have a conceptual like understanding of it. And, uh, and, and these key terms, I can't even keep up with the key terms these days, but um, you know, it's just one that I've been seeing lately and I figured asking your perspective on it would be, um, would be interesting. Are you open to discussing uh, any more of what this uh, sequel book will be on? Um, not yet. Cause I'm, cause I'm still working on the chapter. So I really haven't put all, put all the final content you know, together. I'm really just in the starting phases of it all just right now. Yeah, dude. Uh, and it's, it's interesting that you say that, you know, I'm, I'm, um, I'm in the same process as you are just not a sequel and, you know, being newer to writing, you know, I really wanted to hear your perspective about writing um, regardless of the content or the book. Uh, as an entrepreneur and a business owner, one one thing that I like to teach my clients, let alone execute myself, is 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 in having systems on how we do things, right? Uh, whether it be a small company or a large company, and one system that really took a lot for me to understand and uh, kind of um, come up with and, and change was my system on how to write. You know, being a brand new author, right? I had no clue how to write a book and my style of uh, basically achieving goals is, is very similar to every successful person I've ever bumped shoulders with or talked to, which is basically a reverse engineering, right? So I reverse engineered it like, okay, what do I want to write about? Okay. Now let's talk about it from backwards, from the title backwards, the last chapter down to the first chapter. Let's think about some chapters that need to be done. And once I had that understanding, I started writing, but the process of writing, I had no clue what I was doing. And I basically just fell into a pattern of writing five pages a day, five days a week. At first it was five pages a day, six days a week, which I found to be a little too much energy expenditure. I'm a big believer in energy, but I'm, I don't want to digress. I want to focus in do you have any like specific systems for writing that maybe some authors or up and coming authors that are listening might be able to utilize? Yeah, I, um, I took a course, I don't know, 10 years ago or so when I wrote a, a book on uh, do it yourself debt settlement on my debt company in 2010 or 11 or something like that. Um, the most useful piece of advice I would say is um, clarify the content that's going to be in each chapter. So you know, for example, um, I've got a chapter which I haven't decided what the title is going to be of it yet, but let's just call it, you know, the uh, pustification of the West. And that'll be the title that I'll make. And then what I I'll do it. is I'll just bullet point content that needs to appear in that chapter. And then I'll expand on the content as I'm writing it. Right. Um, you know, like a follow up to that in another section of the book might be how to how to enjoy the decline as a guy today sort of thing. And I'm doing this all now from the from the perspective of what an unplugged alpha is, because that's really the brand that I'm building right now. It's you know it's the title of my first book, The Unplugged Alpha. You can find it on Amazon. But um, this this notion of how do you live the best life that you possibly can 
to me is all going to boil down to what does the unplugged alpha do, right? Like what is the guy that's unplugged from society's lies do when it comes to dealing with certain things in society, with women, with money, with the creation of wealth, um, you know, self, self-control, you know, within stuff that he can control in his life. Um, because as you know, you know, today we live in a very different world than our grandparents and parents did. Oh, yeah. uh, and, and that's really how I just try to break it down. So it's really just, you know, like the main idea and then bullet point ideas that need to make it in the chapter. And I just expand on those. Yeah. So you're similar, similar, right? You're, it sounds like you're, you're pretty intuitive. Like you have your bullet point and then you just flow with it. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yeah. And that's how I often make a lot of my videos too. Like I'll just take a notepad and I know what the title of the video is probably going to be. I'll mention it somewhere within the first five to 10 seconds. And then I might have something like three to five main points. Right. Um, and then I'll make sure that I've got those bullet points so that I go from one to the other to the other, but I don't have um, a script that I follow. I just basically talk about the idea. So I write kind of the same way that I make videos too. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like this thing that we do, huh? Just a few bullet points and then you just kind of speak off it. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's, that's great advice. And, you know, um, fundamentally, I, I appreciate you sharing your knowledge and your, your insight when it comes to these things, uh, because you're, you're further along and have accomplished, uh, many things, um, including, you know, coming out with your second book, which my perspective, it sounds like, you know, unplugged alpha, which I'm definitely going to read. I, I don't know why I haven't read it. I'm a huge reader, but Unplugged Alpha is almost like the 101. And now that you're moving into the sequel, it's almost like, uh, well, this is where I am. Now, what else can I learn? Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, the, the follow-up's going to take people a little bit deeper down certain uh, concepts. Because one of the uh, pieces of feedback that I got from people, because I read all of the reviews after people uh, leave them, is they wanted more on certain concepts and ideas and like what to do next. So that's what the uh, follow-up book will end up dealing with. I love it. I, I, uh, I really do. Okay. So the interview got cut short a little bit from technical difficulties, but we just wanted to thank you, Rich Cooper. Appreciate your time, man. Um, thank you for coming on. And uh, I hope everyone listening got a different perspective on some similar topics that we discuss and everyone enjoyed the show. So uh, if you want to check out his book, check it out, The Unplugged Alpha, The Unplugged Alpha on Amazon. And uh, he's on Instagram, entrepreneurs underscore in underscore cars and the same title on YouTube. All right. So for this week, uh, that's what we got for you. And we will see you soon. Can I kick it? tribe that flows in layers right now fife is a point sayer at times i'm a studio conveyor mr dinkins would you please be my mayor you'll be doing us a really big favor boy this track really has a lot of flavor when it comes to rhythms quest is your savior follow us for the funky behavior make a note on the rhythm we gave you feel free drop your pants yank your hair do you like the garments that we wear I instruct you to be the obeyer, a rhythm recipe that you'll savor, doesn't matter if you're minor or major.